Let's take our Bibles and we'll turn to Zechariah chapter 10. We're continuing our series on the path to restoration. As we look through Zechariah, we have come to the 10th chapter. And what we want to see in this chapter is some truths about the Good Shepherd. We know him as Jesus, and he is the one who cares for his sheep. For the people in Zechariah's time, things were still in shambles. There's a lot of question about what would happen to Israel in the coming days. And here in the Word of God, we find promises made to Israel that illustrate the care and the faithfulness of our God. Now for all of us, we need to count on the care and the faithfulness of our God. It's easy to lose perspective. We can form the mistaken idea that things in this world unfold apart from the hand of God. We can forget the care and the faithfulness of God. And when we lose that perspective, we bow to fear. We start to come to the place to where we're trusting the observable, the things that we can figure out, forgetting that there is a God who is in control of all of these things. And that's what we find here in Zechariah chapter 10. As Zechariah starts to talk about the care of the coming shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, he begins with some very practical things for the followers of God, the children of Israel who had come back to their place there in Jerusalem. So let's look here at the first verse. And what we're going to see is this. People can choose the shepherd that they follow. And picking the wrong shepherd leads to disaster. When Zechariah starts the 10th chapter, he gives a reminder to us all that there is one Lord one leader, one shepherd who has the power to care for us, and one only, and that's God. Isn't it intriguing through history how we have seen human beings who claim, follow me and everything will be all right? And history is filled with people who get off track, who get confused, because they follow the wrong shepherd. God has given us himself as the one who can provide for our needs, care for us, guide us, and strengthen us through our course and through our journey here in this life. Look at the first verse, and Zechariah reminds us to ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who makes the storm clouds. He gives showers of rain to men and plants of the field to everyone. God is the one who provides for us. God is the one who takes care of the most foundational of our needs. God is the one that we should seek. Now, as we look at this text, this is written to a people who were confused about who brings the rain, and the basic needs of life. 
You see, for many in the ancient Near East, they had designer gods. And each one of these gods had a particular area of responsibility. Some of the designer gods were responsible for rain. Some of them were responsible for crops. Many of the people during the time in which Zechariah wrote this chose one of those gods to follow and offer sacrifice to and worship so that they could have their particular need met. The ideology of their culture and their day influenced a worldview. If they were pursuing one of these gods, they would lose perspective of how important it is to follow the one true God. So what God is telling the people to do here through the prophet Zechariah is this. Don't seek solutions in other places. Find your needs met in me. And that's a message to us all today as well. Isn't it easy to buy in to the ideologies of this world? Isn't it easy to listen to those around us and what they say? Because in any given moment of time, it can sound so reasonable. We look and we say there are so many people following these other ideologies. They must be true. And we can be tempted to adopt those thought processes. What God invites us to do is to put all of that aside and follow him. Because ultimately, God is the one who meets our needs. Look at the third verse. And right in the second half of the third verse, Zechariah further points this out about God. For the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the house of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. God is the one who will see to the needs of his people. God is the one who is the Lord Almighty. Or as we've seen, this word Lord Almighty or phrase is even better translated the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord who is in charge of all of the spiritual forces of good and godliness. And he is the one who sees to our care, our protection, our provision. This is the God that we serve. And so what Zechariah is inviting us to do is seek this God. Call upon Him. Pray to Him. And stop seeking solutions outside the one true God. There is such a message for us today in this. We dare not get distracted by the things that this world would tell us are solutions to our life. We have to seek the one true God. We have to embrace the truth that is Him and pursue and follow Him. Now, when we progress through this text, we find that there were people who picked the wrong shepherd. Look at verse 2. As we come to verse 2, Zechariah begins to speak about the distraction and the deception that many of the people of his day bought into, which resulted in them walking away from God and not experiencing the wonderful things that God could have and wanted to bring into their lives. For many of them 
They were turning to the things of their culture rather than the things of God. And it begins with verse 2 where it says, the idols speak deceit. Now in our day, we look and we say idolatry. How could anyone fall prey to idolatry? The idea that you carve something out and bow down before it and hope that that thing that you have carved somehow provides protection for you. What we fail to understand is we carve out idols for ourselves all the time. And we listen to them and we depend on them. We follow idols as easily as the people of this day did, and the idols still speak deceit. The word that is translated idols in your NIV Bibles, if you're following along in an English Standard Version or in a New American Standard Version, you'll see that the term idols is even translated household idols. And what this was in the time in which Zechariah writes, people would have gods that they carved and would carry along with them. These household idols were like action figures in size. And they would set them up in a shrine in their home, and they would bow down before them, and they would seek counsel from these idols and from these gods. But what we don't realize is this. These idols are not benign, harmless figures that are carved out of wood. There are spiritual forces behind these idols. And this is brought out in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, look at what Paul writes. No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So what Paul is saying in this text is crystal clear. When we follow idols, gods, there are spiritual forces behind those gods. And they would direct us on a course away from him. That's why they're so deceitful. That's why the people of God must avoid these things. Look at what else we find. They tell dreams, or excuse me, diviners see visions, verse 2, that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Now again, these spiritual forces of darkness, they seek to either speak through these idols or through human agents who are committed to things that are contrary to God. The diviners that are mentioned, some of your versions will say soothsayers. These are people who seek spiritual guidance apart from God. They are people who believe that spiritual forces can inform them as to the decisions that they make. And so what these people will do is enlist these spiritual forces 
in their decision-making and their thought processes and the way that they live, and they're deceived. They follow them. And we have people around us all the time that are buying in to this thought process. When we cloister ourselves in our Christian circles, we forget that there are people outside the Christian circles who think quite differently than we do. I remember one time when I was going into a restaurant. Okay, it was a Burger King. (laughs) I sat down at a table, and it was very crowded, so this woman asked if she could sit down at the table next to me. And I said, sure. And so we started to engage in a conversation. And she started talking about how the spirits speak to her. Now, my first reaction was, woo. (laughs) You know, why? I'm just on lunch break, Lord, you know? (laughs) Why? But as I listened, her sincerity and her belief were profound. She truly believed that benign spirits spoke to her and guided her in what she did. And there wasn't just her, but she belonged to a group of people who believed these things. Folks, it's all around us. There are people looking for a shepherd who find their shepherd in these things, and confusion comes. So God is warning us in his word that these are not benign spirits. There's no such thing as a benign spirit. God calls us to follow him. Any spirit who calls us to follow them is not of God, and they are demons. That's the takeaway from this. And so Zechariah is warning the children of Israel not to fall into that thought process. Because that very thought process was what brought about their break in relationship and fellowship with God. Listen, when we find and follow sources other than God in our life to be our shepherds, look at the second half of the second verse. As people were listening to these false dreams, these false uh, leaders, these false shepherds, It says, therefore the people wander like sheep, oppressed for lack of a shepherd. Listen, there is one shepherd for our life, and that is God. Seek to follow any other shepherd, and there is confusion. Seek to follow any other shepherd, and you will find nothing there. And you know what I see? I see people in our culture going after shepherd, after shepherd, after shepherd, wandering around, trying to find something that clicks, something that works, and there is confusion. Or as the Word of God says, wandering. Listen, you don't need to be a spiritual wanderer. You can find all that you need in a personal relationship with God. And He has provided a way for us to know him and experience that relationship with him by the provision of his son who came and lived among us, died on the cross, who rose again, ascended, is seated at the right hand of God and is coming again. And he will be the shepherd of this earth 
and we can look forward to that. Follow him now. That's the course that makes sense. Look at what verse 3 says. My anger burns against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord Almighty will care for his flock. Any of these leaders who say, follow me, not God, God's anger burns against them. And what is significant about that is this truth. God will be the shepherd of this world. Follow any other shepherd at your peril. Invest your life in another shepherd and you will find that that shepherd leaves you wanting and wandering. But follow the shepherd who is the true shepherd, God. And what do you find? Peace, order, a relationship with the Father. And that brings us to our next point. As we come to the fourth verse, we see an important prophecy concerning the coming shepherd. And this prophecy describes the coming shepherd who will be the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what verse 4 says. From Judah will come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. Now, here the Word of God is talking about how out of the tribe of Judah would come one who is cornerstone, tent peg, battle bow, ruler. And all of those descriptions picture for us beautifully the Lord Jesus Christ. I love these descriptions. First of all, he is the cornerstone. Do you know what a cornerstone is? In the building of buildings in Zechariah's time, you would lay the cornerstone and then measure everything off of the cornerstone. That became your reference point. Everything oriented to it. It was the foundation, the beginning of the entire structure. When it was put into place, that would be what you would evaluate everything by. And it's what would hold that building together in a unique way, in the way that it's built and constructed. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. He is the one through whom all of history really comes together and makes sense. For the Old Testament, He is the Messiah that they were waiting for. For the New Testament, He is the Messiah who has come and is coming again. He is the cornerstone. Isaiah said this about the cornerstone. See, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Isn't that a great verse? That's Jesus, our cornerstone. The cornerstone of our life, the cornerstone of history, the cornerstone of all that God has. This is Jesus. Now, he's called something else in this text. He is also called the tent peg. Now, a lot of you are probably trying to wonder in your own minds, what does he mean by tent peg? I studied this, so I think I really have this pegged. Here's the idea. 
tent peg was something that held the tent together. You know, I love going to men's retreat, and I sleep out in a tent. And one year I set up my tent, and I didn't stake it down. And the winds came up, and I was out milling around, and when I came back to take a siesta in my tent, it was blown up against the woods, kind of rolled up, everything that was in there just like it had been in a a, a tumble dryer, and it was everywhere inside the tent. Thankfully, I closed the flap, and it had a floor. Had I staked the tent down, it would have been fine. The tent peg, the stake is what holds that tent in place. And what a picture of the coming Messiah. He is the one who holds everything together, all that God has planned. That's Jesus, our Messiah. Something else. He's pictured as one who protects the flock. Look again at this text. And notice... Verse 4 says he is the battle bow. Now again, to us, we're not thinking in terms of this time and the warfare that was put into place, but here's what we need to grasp. The battle bow was an integral part of offense and defense. It protected the troops. If you've watched some of those movies where there is a rainstorm of arrows coming down, those were sent by battle bows. The protector, the defender. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the battle bow, the protector for our life. Something else, he is the ruler. You know, Christmas is approaching, and there are Old Testament passages that talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that baby who would come and be born in a manger is described, there's so much more about him that is described. For instance, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me One who will be what? Ruler over Israel. Ruler. This is the coming Messiah who came to be the ruler. And it will be fulfilled here on earth, literally, when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth. Look at what Isaiah says. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Let that sink in for a moment. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. We live in a crazy world. Peace comes and goes like that. When Jesus returns to establish his kingdom on earth, peace will reign and not decrease like we see it. Peace is put into place and then it degenerates and then it's gone. And it's a free-for-all. 
But when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom on earth, peace will increase. It says he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is what we have to look forward to because we follow the one who is the ruler. But then more is given to us. The purpose for God's people will be realized by his power. God had made promises about Israel. And those promises were profound. The promises that he made to Abraham and later to Moses and later to David. All of those will come to fruition and fulfillment when Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom on earth. First of all, we find Zechariah talking about the position of Israel, God's people in Israel and, and, and in the world. And look at what it says. In verse 5 it says, Together they will be like mighty men trampling the muddy streets in battle because the Lord is with them. They will fight and overthrow the horsemen. Now here is a position of prominence that is promised to the people of God. When we look at Israel today, we see a tiny country, smaller than metropolitan Chicago area, right there smack dab in the middle of foes in the Middle East. We see the Jewish people scattered throughout the world. Every continent has a group of Jewish people who have fled there because of persecution and difficulty. So all over the world, Israel is scattered. But what Jesus is saying is, I will regather you and I will make you a place of prominence and strength. Not because of your faithfulness, but because of mine. Look at what the text goes on to say. In verse 6, it says, I will strengthen the house of Judah and save the house of Joseph, and I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Isn't that a great promise? God's faithfulness is based on his faithfulness and not ours. When we look at the history of Israel, they failed God again and again and again. But God isn't through with them. Because God is faithful. God is going to see to their restoration, their establishment. They will be a part of Christ's kingdom. And I don't know about you, but man, does that give me hope. See, not only does Israel fail God, I do. There are times where I don't prove to be faithful to God at all. And it's evidenced every time I sin. But my relationship with God and the fulfillment of his promise rests not in my faithfulness, but in God's. If I had to depend on my faithfulness to keep 
the salvation that God has promised through His Son, Jesus Christ. I would be a dismal failure. I couldn't hope to accomplish that. But because of God's faithfulness and His alone, there is a place for me because I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and entered into a relationship with Him. God's promise to Israel illustrates the faithfulness of God, not only in relation to Israel, but in relation to all who enter into a relationship with Him. His faithfulness holds them. I love the sixth verse where it talks about His compassion. And yes, though for a time God has set aside His plan for Israel, there is coming a time where God will reestablish that plan. He's not through with Israel. He's not through with His people. What hope there is in that truth. That is the God that we serve. That is the true shepherd that we should follow. Verse 7 promises the Ephraimites, which would be like the northern ten tribes of Israel, will become like mighty men, and their hearts will be glad as with me, or as with wine. Listen, for the Ephraimites, the northern kingdom, they went into captivity long before the southern kingdom went into captivity. And the people who had come back to rebuild the temple during Zechariah's time, those were people from the southern kingdom. But God is saying to his audience, look, I'm not only not through with you, but I'm not through with the whole of Israel, all of the tribes of Israel. I'm going to see to their deliverance. I'm going to bring them back to a place that I intended them to occupy all along. That is the faithfulness of our God. Look at what else we see. In verse 8 it says, or we see the promise of God to redeem and regather His people. Look at verse 8. I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. Now again, the imagery of this is beautiful. We've been looking at terms that pertain to the flock and to a shepherd. And what we find in this text is this. God will call them. Some of your translations even say God will whistle for them. The idea is this. We have a flock in place. We have a shepherd who is there to care for that flock. That flock has gone to the four winds. They're all over the place. But here we have our shepherd our God, calling His sheep, regathering them together. The Israelites that are all over the world, scattered all over the place, these God will regather because He has redeemed them. You know what it means to redeem? Redeem means that God has bought these people with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That God has brought them into relationship with Him. And He will see to continuing that relationship. Bringing them into a place to where they are strong because of who God is and what God has done. I'm so thankful for a shepherd like that. The faithful shepherd who redeems 
the faithful shepherd who keeps us and holds us. The Word of God says this in Titus. We wait for the blessed hope. That's our shepherd. We wait for him. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming again, and this will be a glorious appearing. And then look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This will become Israel. They will be redeemed. They will be transformed. They will move from people who have not embraced Messiah as those who receive Him. God has a plan for them. And He has a plan for us. When Paul wrote this, this was addressed to believers. Jesus is coming again. And we will be a part of His kingdom. Why? Because He has redeemed us and brought us into a wonderful relationship with Him. It's a wonderful promise that He gives. And then the Scripture continues in verses 9 through 11. Though I scatter them among the peoples, yet in distant lands they will remember me. They and their children will survive, and they will return. I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to Gilead and Lebanon and there will not be room enough for them. They will pass through the sea of trouble. The surging sea will be subdued, and all the depths of the Nile will dry up. Assyria's pride will be brought down, and Egypt's scepter will pass away. All of the geopolitical forces that have been against Israel will be subdued. God will regather His people and put them in the place that He promised giving them the land that he had promised to Abraham. This is the faithful God whom we serve. One final thought. Israel looks forward to being able to participate in an intimate walk with God. Look at verse 12. I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk, declares the Lord. These changes that take place in Israel, they're brought about by the strength of the Lord. I love this verse. I will strengthen them in the Lord. It's not their personal performance. It's not them having that aha moment. It is God working on their hearts, drawing them to himself. God does a work in their hearts and in their lives. And when that transformation takes place, they will walk in His name. They will live in the way that God always intended them to live. You see, God is the God of restoration. As Zechariah wrote, he was talking about the restoration of the temple. But then as his book progresses, he talks about the restoration of the people. The temple lasted until about 70 A.D., torn down. But guess what? The people continue to exist, continue to last, and they will be turned by the Lord God himself, regathered 
from being scattered all over the world because of the faithfulness of God Almighty. You know what our privilege is? Our privilege as those in the church is we share in an inheritance with the Messiah. We are part of his kingdom. We can rejoice in Christ's return in that through God's grace, by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can enjoy the kingdom promises as well. My encouragement to you this morning is this. Evaluate what shepherds have a voice in your life. Is it God who provides everything? Or have we become distracted with the many voices of this world around us? Buying into their worldview, listening to what they have to say, and turning away from the things of God. The voices of this world offer immediate satisfaction, but it isn't lasting. The voice, the call of the one true shepherd offers an eternal promise that will be fulfilled. If you listen to the voices of this world, you're really following the wrong shepherd. And that will demonstrate itself as true at some point in your life, if it hasn't already. But the voice of the one true shepherd, that's the voice that gives you meaning and purpose and hope and a future. So follow him.